Hey, Chuckle Bunnies, welcome to Electric Liberty Land 183 pre-roll, in which I would like to remind you of our fantastic offer, where you get to ask a question of the Lions of Liberty for posting a five-star review on iTunes. You might have heard me talking about intellectual property on, uh, what was that, last show? I think it was. My brain is uh, is scattered. But I only see one, one five-star review. How can you not jump at this opportunity to ask me a little bit of questions, get a little insight into what I think about things? And of course, I'm also doing a uh, Ask Me Anything for our Pride only, and I've got about five or six questions to go through. But you got to join the Pride for that over at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty for as little as five bucks a month. So write a review, ask a question, join the Pride, and ask several. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. It is I, once again, deigning to grace you with my Precious, precious time. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 183, everybody. And, you know, I got to be perfectly honest. I, uh, I'm i doing a totally different show than I thought I would be because uh, I had a bunch of, of news stories lined up, and I'll still get into some of those later. Of course, you can find all of the uh, links to news articles and cultural references, as mentioned in this episode, at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 183. But you know what happened? So I'm I, I'm going through all the news links today, and I was out of town. I was out in Palm Springs over the weekend, just being hot and being very drunk for several days with uh, some friends, went out, got a house, and just sat Sat around the pool, drank fruity drinks, and uh, got too much sun, which is lovely to do, and experienced the uh, the bumping sounds of, I, I don't know exactly what nationality these partiers were that were a couple of houses away, but they had the loudest speaker system I've ever heard. And from like 10.30 in the morning until 11.30 at night, they would rock party music. And it was like... The absolute worst butt nugget party music that you could hear at any Vegas club. But then they'd also mix in, you know, like, I mean, I'm a a Scotsman. I'm an Irishman, as you might glean from the McWilliams of my last name. So I'm overly and abundantly familiar with bagpipes. And actually, when I'm depressed, and I was depressed today going through some news links, I had often turned to bagpipe music for a pick-me-up. You know, I'd listen to... uh, some of the pipes and drums, you know, kind of get my war going, my war cry angled up there, you know, my uh, ass slapping and face painting to make me feel a little bit better. So I'm not against bagpipes, but there was this one thing, and it's kind of like, I don't know, an Arabian or Indian style bagpipe, that high pitch, like, so they'd, like, they'd bump this party music. And then Every five or six songs, you'd have this high-pitched, crazy bagpipe music playing. And it's just decibels where I don't know how their ears were in bleeding. I guess they built up a cultural tolerance to it. But anyway, so I was out of town. I was not able to go through the news links as I usually do from uh, our man, Howie Snowden, who, of course, you just heard on the Akira review that Mark did with J.B. Lubin, Dr. Science, our pal Remzo uh, Martinez, and uh, Blanken, who else on the show? I think that was it. Yeah. But how he sends through his news links, which people get if they join our Patreon at $15 and up, where you get sent all these news links. And so there's a ton of them. You know, how he sends out an abundance of news from both sides of the spectrum. And uh, I go through them every day. So in that manner, I don't get too overwhelmed. You know, you go through some news, you see some crap, and uh, you shake it off by the end of the day. But man, coming back from drinking for three days straight from, you know, morning till night and uh, relaxing and and taking a much needed break. But to have the avalanche of like four days of news links and just see the stupidity, the downward migration of everything I hold dear just in the past few days is just shocking. And uh, man, really pissed me off, got me depressed. 
So I'm walking around, walking my dogs, just bemoaning the state of the world. And I start to think, right? And then I come home and I'm a little bit sleepy. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a little quick hour nap after lunch. And I put on my favorite show to nap to Star Trek, The Next Generation, of course. But I'm lying there and I can't quite fall asleep. And I can't quite nap because I keep thinking about cancel culture. I keep thinking about what's happening. You know, I, I think about... Uh, Tina Fey being canceled now. You know, they want, there's this group, Project 21, a group of fucking assholes that are trying to take away the awards that she was gifted for comedy writing from the Kennedy Center or the Kennedy Awards, whatever they're called. And they want to do this because they say that her stereotypes that were in 30 Rock, not just the blackface episodes, which to explain <laughs> the use of blackface in these episodes, and I think if I remember correctly, it was Jenna Maroney it was the one and she's a character, it's a white, ditzy, white, self-absorbed actress who will do anything to get ahead, be it horribly inappropriate, be it berating children and making fun of the handicapped to probably wearing blackface. Again, if I'm remembering correctly. But the point of this is that it's self-satirizing. You're taking a character who is designed to be an unlikable character, yet one that is funny, and making her satirize using blackface to get ahead, basically doing something horrible as a horrible character would and making people go, well, that's so fucking stupid. So I shouldn't do that. And also I get a little laugh about it. It works in both ways that I'd say is a good for humanity and good for comedy and good for culture. So she pulls these episodes of 30 Rock in which they have blackface. And now they want to take away her comedy writing where because they said that it's not just that, it's that also the black characters in the show Oh, but Tracy Morgan is a main one. And his character, Tracy Morgan's character as a human being is to be a crazy nutball who says anything and kind of always plays this, this a little bit slouchy character. Then you have the other character and he plays basically himself for the show to an exaggerated extent of a superstar movie, movie star who had fallen upon hard times and now is on this women centric uh, comedy sketch show which he took over as the main star, which caused some drama with the show. But he is supposedly, according to this Project 21 group of, of wokesters, uh, the classic interpretation of, and stereotyping of the lazy black man. Okay. <laughs> now, of course, this can't be a simple character. This can't be one character in a show that happens to be black and happens to be played by Tracy Morgan, who is himself has pushed forward that as his comedic persona. The other character that is black on the show of the main cast, again, two black guys in the main cast. Great. Do you think is called twofer? The reason he's called twofer is that you have a twofer as far as corporate media is concerned. And of course you have Alec Baldwin playing Jack Donahue on the show. One of my favorite characters in all of television, by the way, but Jack Donahue is a Republican. He is a corporate shark that has a heart as the show goes on, uh, as evidenced by his friendship and hey, what he views as a weakness towards her and her point of view. But it's a twofer to have a black staff member who also went to Harvard and has an education. And there was something like there was basically a double benefit to the show having him on as far as they had to, or they got federal money for two different things. Maybe it was hiring a, a black collegiate graduate and I don't know, something else. Like it was, it was basically based in corporations taking advantage of social policies to get financial benefit from the government. That was the joke there. And they called him twofer because the, how and there were several episodes going into this, how he would get very upset because they felt that he had gotten ahead based upon this uh, corporate uh, buying into these programs. And of course, he said, well, I don't feel like I deserve to be here then. And how dare you think that's all? It was an episode based around. So they addressed the issue. But again, taking it on, trying to make it funny and taking a very real thing that does happen. Corporations will look to get ahead with these programs. Of course, the programs are designed to put people in places that are people of color to try to, quote, even things out. And naturally... On both sides, there's going to be people that get ahead based upon it that probably shouldn't. And there's going to be corporations that look to benefit from that by putting people ahead and taking advantage of the financial benefits of that. So whatever. These are real world things. So that's what they're saying, This that she has gone ahead and how dare she take these two stereotypes of black men and use them for <gasps> comedy. 
My God, can you imagine taking real-life situations or personas and using them for comedy? So anyway, this is one example of a couple I'll, I'll talk about here. The other one is, I saw Terry Crews has been, <laughs> they're trying to cancel Terry Crews. Muscle-bound Terry Crews and uh, and known, known man of black skin color. Because he has dared to question the overall unpenetrable or impenetrable and uh, uncriticizable mantra of hashtag Black Lives Matter. And he said, instead of saying, you know, he says, we have to remember that Black Lives Matter should not be Black Lives Better. And, you know, essentially saying that trying to push for over equality uh, and essentially placing Black Lives among, among those uh, that are now considered better or should deserve better treatment in all things or should be elevated above other people that are trying their best and, you know, working the same amount, that kind of thing. Uh, warning, essentially warning against trying to go too far with the movement. And the backlash has been predictable. People saying, well, how dare you? You know, we have been disenfranchised and taken advantage for generations. Don't you know about systematic racism? Don't you know about these? So we deserve to be pushed ahead and we deserve empowerment and equality. And if it takes, you know, pushing down all the white people and all the Latino people or whatever it might be uh, that they're arguing at this point for us to find equal footing and get our equal due after generations. Well, then that's what it is. Meanwhile, to me, it certainly seems like this is an argument worth having, especially when you look at the messaging of things, because the more you push an extreme view, the more you're pushing in a minority point of view, wherein was it? 13% of the population is African-American or black, however you want to phrase it. If you're pushing that they should get all of these benefits and pay them trillions of dollars in reparations, the $14 trillion reparation plan is forwarded by BET founder uh, Lawrence. Well, you're going to have the majority of the population that is not that 13 or 14%. If you push too hard, rebound against it. And they're going to say, this is goddamn ridiculous and... Uh, you're going to start a real culture war, which you may not win, in which you you do run a real danger of going too far and getting that rebound. And I think we're already seeing some of that happen, whether or not it's pronounced on social media or not. But I think we're going to see it happen. I think we are seeing it happen. Now, this thinking led me down, and much in my lamentatious state, as I was lying in bed, tossing and turning, thinking about this shit, to wonder what the libertarian strategy is now. Because as we're seeing, and as carried on the COVID wind, Protests, Black Matters Live, or uh, Black Lives Matter, inequality, racial inequality, income inequality, and attacks on any sort of freedom of speech, attacks on what you can and can't say in comedy, attacks on what you can and can't say on social media. Uh, the the window for acceptable thought is narrowing at a absolutely manic pace, and we're seeing people, as I mentioned, like Tina Fey and others, get canceled. And not just celebrities, the poor woman I spoke about in the Washington Post article last week, who was an idiot, yes, but not deserving of getting fired from her job. We're seeing people that are relatives of people who got uh, exposed as thought criminals be fired from their jobs. We're seeing shows get pulled off of HBO. We're seeing South Park episodes get pulled off of HBO Max that challenged unorthodox ideas. The thing I'm seeing is, you know, by watching this cancel culture accelerate, and as I say, the reason I say carried by the COVID wind, by the way, is that I also theorize that this is happening so fast, not only because of the cancer that is social media, but also because we are currently in a state of lockdown, wherein so many people have nothing better to do literally with their lives than take up causes, most of which they don't have to get off the couch to partake in. They have time to seek out the people that are uh, that are the thought criminals, they have time to retweet. They have time to scroll endlessly through their feeds. They have time to scroll endlessly through other people's old uh, old tweets and old feeds. They have time to go out and protest. And I guarantee you, all of these protests, all of these sit-ins, all of these Occupy uh, Wall Streets, which is going on right now again, all of these chop chaz zones that are going on right now, would not be happening. In, in such veracity, nor in the length of time were people not out of jobs to the extent of 40 million plus and growing, were people not uh, disallowed from going to schools and colleges, all of these kids that might be at college now, or they might be at the beach, or they might be hanging out with their friends or doing God knows whatever the fuck else they want to do, out bars drinking, 
are not allowed to do this. You've got all sorts of young people that are not going off to college now because colleges have decided to do online coursework rather than accept them on college campuses. So they are now at home with mom and dad and doing a paltry amount of online coursework. You've got people that are currently in high school and junior high that are already brainwashed by the academic system that we have in place and thus are looking for something else to do since they also have nothing to do all day but sit on social media, watch television, play video games. So you've got all these people out of work. And also the people that are working, right? The the elites that maintain their jobs in tech and entertainment. Well, entertainment people are out of, out of work right now, unless you work in something that's with online streaming media. But the people working in technology and finance and banking and new media and all these other things, digital advertising and whatnot. All of these wokesters with these jobs and careers that are safe during these pandemic times because they are digital and they're able to work remotely very easily also are working far more efficiently from home, which is something I also have always believed in. But that, of course, allows them to allocate time into quote-unquote hobbies, like being woke shitheads. So you're seeing this COVID win carry along these protests. You're having people that are able to go out and protest in their off time or work remotely on their phones from their protests or go out and do whatever it is because they're not physically required to be at work and they may be able to take that time and put it elsewhere. Now, from a libertarian perspective, I'm thinking, what's the strategy here? Because I've been railing against this. I've been saying on social media, I've been doing podcasts about it. I've been posting on my Facebook page. I've been, you know, doing these, these different tactics to try to fight back and push back. And it hasn't been working. It's clear the acceleration of this is at such a frantic pace that traditional methods are not going to work. Reason and logic and sanity have been lost. I mean, this is something that is very obvious in our time. So what recourse do we have? I mean, shit, I'm a communications expert. I need to start thinking about these things. And honestly, I started thinking about collapsitarianism, which is not something that I endorse as far as the overall systems. I think we have too much to lose by advocating for pure anarchy in the uh, in the mainstream sense, not in the uh, the real sense. Of course, that's another debate on whether or not to abandon the term anarchy. But I should say... Pure untethered uh, systemhood in which the uh, the economic system will break down, in which governmental systems will break down, in which it would truly be every man for himself in a uh, dystopian future. I don't want that. I have a five year old month old baby. I would like to have my daycare in place. I'd like to be able to get my baby food and not have to go out and hunt for it with my pistol in hand. And by the way, if you're wondering what kind of gun I bought. First of many, because I plan on buying several more, uh, I got the CZ75. There you go. Nice little compact 9mm. Um, but collapsitarianism, in as fo- insofar as cultural collapsitarianism, I think, could be highly beneficial. And especially when we're looking at fighting this culture war, where we're seeing book burning in digital form, in book burning as far as removing content, removing uh, freedoms of speech, removing forms of entertainment. And I look at the way in which cyclically cultures happen. And this, this is in regards to many freedoms where we have it so good insofar as the way in which we live and the, the standard of living, where you look at the atrocities of the past and how they occur, right? When people get to a certain extent where they're so comfortable, they forget just how good they have it. They forget where they came from. They forget why the founding fathers put these measures into place, be they fucking slave owners or not, but why, as far as the system of government, as far as the constitution, as far as the basic rights, freedom of speech being first and foremost, why that is put into place. It's because they were denied those basic freedoms. And we look at what's happening today. We look at how people are being canceled. And I think that the avenue of a strategy that might be the most effective is to actually try to accelerate the cultural collapsitarianism uh, that is already occurring and try to make it happen at such a breakneck speed that literally no one is safe. That we try to amplify every sort of cancel culture meme, cancel culture movement on social media, that we try to start our own cancel cultures going after people on the left and the right alike, uh, after cultural institutions, and try to tear them down. And because we see not only that the left is eating its own, which we should highly encourage, but also academia is turning on itself. 
And if we can arrange it and try to try to accelerate this to such an extent where literally everyone is living in a state of constant fear, like these wokesters at the moment are content. And this is, of course, a problem I have with liberal thought in general, but or I should say progressive thought, not liberal thought, is that the confidence in what you're saying is so profound, even though it might be profoundly stupid, and I feel that it is in many circumstances because of cultural relativism as far as uh, historical context, as far as changing uh, acceptability of certain phrases, content, actions, deeds, etc. Not all that, but of course, the effectiveness of a lot of what they advocate, uh, which tends to lead towards genocide, totalitarianism, famine, and economic destruction, uh, the, uh, the cost of basic civil liberties across the board. But you try telling that to somebody on the left, and you will get a blank stare or angry words back in your face telling them that you are a child of white privilege or that you have no understanding of people of color and what minorities have been through and that how dare you try to prescribe an economic system that may have worked for every single person that's ever tried it. Uh, as long as we keep the cronyism out of it. And that, of course, the answer would be socialism or some other such muck. But if we can shake the very foundations of that confidence, if we can expose that all of these wokesters have in their past some sort of indication, some sort of dirt, some sort of um, infidelity during this cultural woke movement, wherein people literally cannot find a safe place to hide or a place in which their confidence is so unshakable, then we may actually get back to a point where reason and dialogue and argument and logic are possible. Because my point in saying that we have to make this go faster, not slower, is that if it continues at the pace it's going right now, it may slow down enough once we go back to work, once that uh, society normalizes at a post-COVID era, it may simply settle back in. But we're still going to have the dangerous institutions in place that the left owns. They are going to stay maintained and stable, still pushing out propaganda. They're going to slowly eradicate their opposition of conservatives and libertarians or anybody that isn't up to date as far as the most recent woke buzzwords and movements that have to take place. However, if we make this so quick and so devastatingly brutal to people where it rips down everything at once, you are still going to have some people that are the classic liberals that are progressives that might have been a, uh, an era before this Gen Z crowd um, that will say, we can't do this. And we'll have the majority that has to push back. In the meantime, like I said, we're shaking the very foundations of what these woke people believe in, as all of their heroes are torn to shreds. As they look around and see that their parents and their friends and their teachers and their loved ones are being torn down, that the shows that they love are being torn down, that their podcasters that they adore are being torn down, that the color of your skin doesn't going to matter because people... Be they of black skin color or white skin color or uh, tan or whatever the fuck your skin color might be. Well, everybody's done something in the past or something that was acceptable in another time that's no longer acceptable. And the faster we can make that happen, the more people are going to remember what they once had. And that's the key to this. Is that we had at one time dialogue. And if we get past that window of time where people no longer remember how we interacted as a civil society, that's when we're truly fucked. So we have to hit on this before the survivors are gone. You know, to use a Holocaust reference, the survivors of the Holocaust are mostly gone now. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or not that we now have rises in anti-Semitism. Of course, social media probably plays into that as well. But once those last survivors are gone and nobody can tell their story and tell that they were there, that things were different, that things were, this is what you have to watch out for. Here are the pitfalls that can destroy your society and kill everybody off. Well, it's a lot easier for something to stay place. It's a lot easier for these types of thought to continue. So let me know what you think of this. Let me know. Tweet at me at Brian McWilliams or tweet even better would be if you want to tweet at me and tweet at Lions of Liberty. That way I'm sure to see it. Let's start a conversation about this. Come join the Lions of Liberty forum or even better, come join the secret Lions of Liberty pride group. Honestly, I'm going to have the conversation in both forums. 
I will I will definitely be participating more in the Lions of Liberty secret pride group. Again, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. But I'll be participating in both sides and I'll be reading both sides. Uh, let's get this conversation going. I want to see where you fall if you agree with this, because honestly, I don't see another way to go about this from a libertarian uh, perspective. And although it pains me to attack what I view as free speech, sometimes it seems that that's the only way that we're going to save it. And by saving that, save every other liberty that exists. Because free speech and the Second Amendment are at the core of both of those. And actually, I remember hearing an interesting uh, question posed by, I think it was posed to Michael Malice or by Michael Malice. But if you had to eradicate the First or Second Amendment, which one would you get rid of? You have to choose one. And honestly, I, I would still choose to eradicate the First Amendment because if you eradicate the Second Amendment, then the government has all of the power, in which case the First Amendment won't mean much if you can shoot everybody that you know try, tries to disagree with you. But still, I think this approach could work. Of course, maybe I just need a little bit more coffee, though, to disprove my own way of thinking down the line. And speaking of coffee... Oh, yeah. Coffee, coffee, coffee. We can and do consume quite a bit of coffee in my household, and we can get a coffee sponsor. And actually, we do have one. So that is Lorenzotti Italy. Now, Lorenzotti Italy is a great bean for if you want just a regular cup of coffee. It's a great bean for espresso, because actually the way this came about, the genesis of this thing was that a couple of libertarians moved to Utah. I guess the utopians don't know how to make any goddamn coffee up in that piece. So what they ended up doing was saying, you know what? Let's start a business. Let's import. Let's go to Italy. Let's, kill, let's figure out this whole situation. Get us some good Italian beans that we know are roasted up high quality. Start importing them and start our own company. It's just how Lorenzotti Italy got, got formed, got started. Also, they are working with entrepreneurs, people that want to start coffee businesses. They're working with coffee houses. They're leasing equipment. They're consulting on coffee businesses. It's really a fantastic libertarian story of success. And they happen to be supporters of the show. And you can go to lorenzotti.coffee. That's lorenzotti, L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I.coffee. And by using the promo code LIONS, get 15% off your order. And make sure to order two tins, by the way, because you get free shipping if you order two of the tins. And it don't make no sense to pay for shipping at five bucks. Easier just to pay for uh, two tins at 11 bucks a pop. And by the way, you may be thinking, oh, this is going to be some coffee that's uh, $20 a tin. No, it's like 11 bucks. Just the same amount as going to the store. So support us, support Libertarian Podcasting, and support Libertarian Businesses. Go to Lorenzotti.coffee today, promo code LIONS. All right, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 183. Show notes and links for the stories that are now forthcoming can be found at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL183. Now, coming back into this, one thing that I want to point out to why I think that this might be working, this is what I just talked about, is noted idiot Melissa <laughs> Alyssa Milano, who, by the way, is uh, now being criticized herself for appearing in what they, what some people are calling blackface. It's definitely not. It looks like she was trying to be snooky for Halloween, but still, you know, heavily makeuped. She has posted that cancel culture is being weaponized by the right slash Putin. <laughs> Putin. <laughs> Take notice of who they are targeting and what is trending. Are they trying to hurt Trump's most vocal critics? Yep. The misinformation campaign has begun. Be vigilant in what you post on social media. Truth still matters. Now, why that's interesting is that for me, that indicates that Alyssa Milano already hears footsteps. Because as we see, this knife can cut both ways and the mob, the way it's accelerating, does not give a shit. They're so exuberant and that uh, endorphin rush from getting somebody canceled and seeing those tweets and the likes spilled up is so much that they do not care. People are getting nervous. The leftist wokester mobster leaves leaders, leaves leaders are, uh, are getting nervous. 
we have to continue to keep this ball rolling because this is the most effective tactic is to turn it on itself, make it faster. And like I said, get it to the point where it reaches a real boiling point, a real culmination while people can still remember that it didn't used to be this way. So anyway, but it is, it just cracked me up. Really Putin, Putin. That's what we, the the catch all for everything. And the fact that people still to this day will say that Trump had help from Russia when it has clearly been disproved. The Mueller report's a fucking joke that people now may go to jail and Mueller himself and his whole team may be investigated by the Department of Justice and rightly so for the scam and for try attempted coup against Donald Trump um, should indicate that, you know, blaming Putin for everything isn't quite on that level and that really anybody that thinks Russia is a threat to us on any level is a fool. Russia doesn't have the power anymore. Russia doesn't have the economic wherewithal. Russia, I guess, maybe could put some interest into, into having Russian trolls uh, cancel culture people, but give me a break. Like, give me a fucking break with this. It's the most ridiculous catch-all for everything I've ever seen, other than just blatantly calling everything racist. Okay, so come back in. Let's talk about some real news here. The Trump administration, administration, God, I can't talk. This is what happens when you drink for three days straight and you're very short on sleep. The Trump administration moles ending congressional review of arms sales as reported by antiwar.com. So they're looking at administration or the administration is looking at options, according to officials, to find a way to end the practice of notifying Congress about U.S. arms sales to foreign powers. Trying to end the congressional oversight and review of such sales. Now, this is insane in general to presume that the president and the military industrial complex, which reports to the president, well, ostensibly reports to the president. I think it might be the other way around as we're seeing from history unfold and the current state of affairs of Donald Trump, who ran on a very anti-war message and now has changed his tune uh, to supporting certain regime change options. But to imagine that now, Considering the history that the American uh, population has dealt with as far as far as blowback and so far as uh, dealing with fallout from arming the wrong sorts of populations. Now, granted, these aren't necessarily arms sales. These are arms gifts half the time that the U.S. bestows on rebel groups that they consider to be allies at the time, or at least the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of deal, which then turn and get pointed at American soldiers as soon as the winds of change happen to blow through the Middle East every three years. But, of course, there's also arms sales to Saudi Arabia, which Trump has loudly trumpeted, uh, not to make a bad pun, and United Arab Emirates. And other nations which have horrible human rights records, which are using American weaponry and support to undertake genocides effectively. Of course, we look to Yemen for examples of that. So that if anything, we should need Congress to be far more involved in who is going to be benefiting from sales of high tech weaponry, which I mean, that if there's anything that we should actually be looking at as far as what we are going to be selling to people. And you know me, I'm a free market guy. I uh, believe that we should just take a hands-off approach to that. And honestly, if it wasn't the U.S. government doing the selling, I would have less of a problem with it. If it was just private industry selling a jet fighter to somebody, I would have probably no no, uh, effort or no uh, objection to it. But when you have the U.S. government trying to go around Congress now to sell weaponry that can, again, change hands very easily. They might be trying to support a political uh, dictatorship, which happens to have a fondness for uh, for America, which is teetering on the brink of collapse, in which case all of those fighter jets that we have now sold them for billions of dollars, probably, probably paid for by our, our own magnanimousness, like with Israel, where we're giving them $50 billion and then selling them $20 billion, doesn't make much sense. And that is cronyism to a T. It's a dangerous political environment. And history has shown us it is not effective. So this is this is very frustrating to see. I have to think that Congress will stand up and try to fight back against it, especially in a time when Donald Trump is taking fire from all sides. The Democrats can finally come back around and pretend to be anti-war in some way by siding with libertarian-based Republicans who want to fight back and have more oversight on war powers and sales of weaponry. So that's one to keep an eye on, at least some uh, some good news. And 
the House has passed a reform package, which does in fact include qualified immunity. All right, I'm sorry, would end qualified immunity. Now, as far as the GOP is concerned, when it gets to the Senate, they've said that they absolutely will not eliminate it. Now, as discussed on the show with JB, qualified immunity was invented by the U.S. Supreme Court back in the 60s. If anything, the U.S. Supreme Court should probably be able to just say, okay, well, you know what, never mind. <laughs> Get rid of it. But this legislation would help, and this is in the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, but it would fully end qualified immunity, which, of course, is the doctrine that allows police to uh, get away with so many of the heinous actions that they do because they are shielded from liability. So civil rights lawsuits, uh, they, they get turned away. Uh, getting involved and be able to, to document what police have as far as misconduct. Uh, I talked a little bit about that on the last show where New York had finally been getting rid of their uh, secret list of police misconduct. So that way, if you end qualified immunity, you can actually use the database to say, look, this person has a long history of violence, a long history of misconduct, and be able to go after them. Be able to get and recoup some of the, the loss for your loved one being battered and bruised and murdered and everything else. So this is just absolutely, as far as a policy situation goes, a must-have. And Rand Paul, of course, is uh, in support of this, probably one of the few <laughs> in the Senate. But I actually think that Donald Trump would be smart to come out and support it, even though he always kowtowed to the police unions. I think it would be a smart move politically for him and for the majority of the Republicans. I mean, I know police unions are going to say, well, in the the large part, are going to say that they they don't support this. But at the same time, we know that police unions are almost to a fault corrupt. Or I should say being corrupt is a fault, but all this unanimously corrupt. They go and protect their own. They've had all these protections invented and put into place, including forces that investigate the police run by the police. I mean, Christ, you've gotten away with this for so long. It's time to revamp policing. And if ending qualified immunity is the thing that actually gets people to say, okay, well, we're okay with this, rather than, you know, trying to uh, elaborately create new societies by taking over other blocks of uh, privately owned property and then keeping police out, well, ending qualified immunity might go a little way to making sure that that kind of stuff doesn't happen. I think it would also go a long way as far as helping the police to police themselves. Because if you're a cop that knows the qualified immunity is no longer there, you're not going to stand by and watch cops do what they did to George Floyd or do what they did to Eric Garner or do any number of more minor infractions even. You're going to have good cops actually stop bad policing. It's not going to be that the bad apples are allowed to sit there and rot because, ah, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, that guy's been here for 20 years. No. Now you're standing with that guy. Who's to say that you aren't culpable? Who's to say that they're not going to come after the both of you because you stood there and allowed it to happen? And that's not your job. Your job is to protect people's rights and fight crime, not beat the living crap out of people under the guise of, well, can't be selling Lucy cigarettes. Okay, next story. All right, next, uh, two stories, two different sides of the coin. One, a New York Democrat refuses to concede a House primary election alleging black voter suppression. Now, never mind, the guy he's running against is also black. Go figure. I don't know. Anyway, State Assemblyman Michael Blake, an African-American candidate, finished in second place in the 15th Congressional District's contest in-person ballot count. So they're both running. Second place, 15th Congressional District. The top finisher was Councilman Richie Torres, who is also African-American. Now, you'd say, how the fuck can this idiot argue that a election held in the one district, like, like it's not statewide, it's not a bunch of different districts, it's not like, you know, Donald Trump's here and you could say that, well, the black people in, in that district... Uh, had a yeah, worse time than in another district where it was all white. No, this is one district, the 15th district in the Bronx, where the man who had beaten him is also black. But he said that a polling site in the, in the black concourse village neighborhood was relocated without explanation, forcing elderly voters to walk 11 blocks away, putting their health at risk. And that another one in the heart of a black neighborhood 
didn't open on time, prompting potential voters to give up. So this dickhead now will not concede because he somehow thinks that black voter suppression led to him being overly affected than the next over black candidate who came in first. I don't know what, I mean, I don't understand the cognitive dissonance here. I don't understand how somebody can take what they consider to be a principled stand using the buzzwords of the democratic left. Of course, black voter suppression, whether or not you believe in it or not, has been thrown about in just about every single political discourse uh, and every single newspaper that the left favors in the past seven months, 10 months, I don't even, probably back to the Donald Trump election cycle, the initial cycle. But to see it used in this manner is truly awe-inspiring. And we see that there's no actual uh, statement that addresses why another black man would somehow have not been affected in the exact same way that he was if this involves black voter suppression. If anything, they both had the exact equal chance because these people would have supported one black candidate as much as another black candidate. I mean, I just, I just don't understand this guy. But it is certainly hilarious and certainly uh, could not be more timely at this point in 2020. Now, the other side of this, uh, I'd say a different coin, yeah, and I only call them the same coin because Chicago and New York City had both had rapid increases in gun violence, gun deaths, etc. since the, uh, I guess, the George Floyd protests started happening. Now, this also may have something to do with uh, the police doing a little bit less patrolling. I think in New York and Atlanta, they were talking about doing a little bit more standing down. But still, vastly more gun violence, right, during this, these times of protest, and especially in Chicago where it's shocking how many people died. I think it was like 114 people were killed over, over Father's Day, and that included children. Yeah, one was like, just a horrible story. It was like a boy walking back from a barber's office with his dad and got shot. Truly horrible. But a activist from a group called Violence Interrupters, uh, the ex- executive director, T.O. Hardiman, was on Fox News' The Story talking about how they need to stand up how Black Lives Matter and the movement and everything that's going on right now need to stand up and discuss ongoing violence in Chicago and, of course, by extension, in other Black neighborhoods. And as he had said, quote, it makes no sense to me if we continue to stand up against the system, but we will not stand up in our own neighborhood. We really do need to do a lot of work in our own backyard right now in order to stem the tide of violence, gun violence that has taken so many lives here in Chicago, Baltimore, and Philadelphia. I don't know why he didn't mention New York. He also responded to greater New York Black Lives Matter President Hawk Newsom's appearance on the same show, as well as George Floyd's death, saying, quote, I'm one of the guys that was on the front line when it came to standing up against police brutality and excessive force, and I understand where Black Lives Matter and what they're attempting to do. I understand that. But at the same time, we need to do our best to stop gun violence in Chicago. The entire nation should be outraged when a three-year-old is executed on the streets and a 13-year-old young girl was killed on the west side of Chicago as well. Black Lives Matter. They're raising millions and millions of dollars. We should have a meeting and see what we can actually work together on in order to stem the tide of gun violence in the inner city. Now, of course, this has been a topic that has been widely taboo to talk about. And even if you have prominent black figures standing up and saying, we need to look inside, we need to start talking about black culture in these inner city areas, it's been largely shouted down. It is viewed by Black Lives Matter, who of course has tried to ignore it, uh, ignore the conversation. It's been viewed as them as, I guess, taking uh, what would be a stereotypical understanding of black culture, i.e. gang culture, gangbang culture, even though that is what this is. And by addressing it, I feel that what's happening here is that they don't want to really bring it up. They don't want to draw attention to it because just like with the looting aspect of these protests, it really pushes that stereotype of black man criminal, right? Now, statistically, that does in fact bear fruit. I mean, the overarching majority of crimes and violent crimes committed in America are by black men between a certain uh, age group, something like 
16 to 32. You know, like 80% of crimes, uh, or at least violent crime, is committed by that group. And of course, within Chicago, within all uh, most of these major cities, what is happening is not, as far as death counts are concerned, it's not even black on white. It's not black on Hispanic or black on Asian. Uh, although other maybe other parts of the crime are. I know that statistically there's a lot more black on white crime than there is white on black crime in America. But when it comes to gun violence and people dying, this is predominantly black on black. And Black Lives Matter, I think, looks at it as a PR black eye, again, not to make a bad pun, and don't want to address what is clearly a major issue. That there is definitely an issue within these communities of, of gun violence. And I guarantee you, these guns has nothing to do with gun control because these people aren't buying these guns legally. A lot of them probably have criminal histories. But they have to look at how these, you know, why is this culture thriving? I've got my own theories. I mean, obviously, I think over-policing leads to a lot of people being broken up and taken out of their families. The drug war separates families and and also forces people that are already in a bad situation. So they're in a socioeconomic situation where they don't have a coherent family unit. So they're having a hard time moving up and out. They're having a hard time uh, parenting. They're having a hard time schooling. They're having a hard time making ends meet. So you have kids dropping out of college early or, or dropping out of high school early, turning to selling drugs, over-police communities. So that way they're getting picked up and arrested for drug felonies, in which case now you have a felony on your record. You come out of jail. You have no alternative other than to turn to crime, turn to a gang uh, for safety in numbers or to collaborate on other crimes. And within that, you now have the culture of violence. And it seems to make sense when we talk about it in that matter, but nobody wants to address it. Nobody wants to get into the nitty gritty of it. And nobody certainly wants to admit that it's a problem. And it's a problem that while there are outside factors, which I just mentioned, and those are very powerful factors and that have gone on for generations, especially since the fucking Bill Clinton crime bill that Joe Biden supported so much, that while those exterior factors exist, that are systematic, There's a, if there's ever a definition of systematic, that would be it, that there's still a onus on the black community to look inside and say, we have to fight back against this ourselves as well. I mean, it's interesting when you'll see pundits out there talk about Muslims and say, oh, well, you need to fight back against Muslim extremists, right? The Muslim community has to own this. In which case, they're actually not wrong in that, yes, you'd like to see people like God, I mean, anybody, if one of my friends is uh, going around shooting people, I certainly would like to think that I would stand up and tell him to knock it the fuck off. Um, and it's just, I, I don't know until that happens, if anything's going to change. Hopefully, as the system changes, as the drug war is curtailed, as the, the over-profiling of black men, the harassment by police, the over-policing of black neighborhoods continues, hopefully, family units will retain their coherence. Hopefully... The government doesn't go out of its way to incentivize breaking up black families and reward people for having family units with no fathers in the household, as is as exists right now within the general system, the welfare system, and the criminal justice system. But still, you'd think that the black community as a whole would also say, let's have a conversation about this. I can't have that conversation, obviously. I can't go in there and, and start preaching, nor would I uh, ever presume to. And it's nice to see that finally people are trying to push forward that narrative. And I think it comes from a method or a, a position of pure desperation. 114 people, children are getting killed every single weekend. Black children getting killed every single weekend. That's a fucking problem. So it's nice to see some people at least start to address it. All right, couple quick items to wrap the show up. One, Rand Paul. Again, with some great (laughs) registration for legislation. Great legislation. I'm not going to go and pull up the Paula sound effect. Uh, You know what? What the hell? For this, maybe I will. Rand Paul, once again, is trying to take on federal civil asset forfeiture. And, of course, this is something that would tie in nicely with trying to eliminate qualified immunity. How about we try to eliminate their ability to recoup the losses from all the forthcoming lawsuits by going after your shit? Because I was discussing with JB, the problem is, you know, the protesters laid all these cop cars on fire. The uh, the police are getting sued for all of the violence that they perpetrate upon people around the nation. 
Well, they're going to need money because otherwise all that happens is they get sued, but that money comes out of our pockets because as taxpayers, we are funding the police and these quote unquote defund measures are only to to, uh, decrease the level of funding that the police receive, which honestly to me doesn't make much sense because all you're doing is disincentivizing paying police officers better and not solving the actual problem, which would be eliminating the culture therein or transferring to a privatized system, reducing the police budgets. I don't see how that's going to help stem uh, systematic uh, violence or a culture of brutality and inefficiency, but that's just me. Now then, anyway, getting back to this measure, uh, which is going to eliminate the ability to steal your shit to pay for all these lawsuits. Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Mike Crapo or Crapo and Angus King, independent out of Maine, introduced the Fifth Amendment Integrity Restoration or FAIR Act. And this is supposed to rein in use of civil asset forfeiture because the quote-unquote process is civil. Typically, you are allowed to take people's assets without going through a criminal court procedure. This bill is going to target and try to eliminate that. It's going to eliminate federal ability to go around state mandates that have reined that in as well. Because even though states have tried to put in civil asset forfeiture uh I don't know, blockades and try to rein that in, uh, the Department of Justice's programs can be used to bypass state-level restraints. And then through the equitable, equitable sharing program, local law enforcement can team up with FBI or drug uh, enforcement, DEA members to do a raid, then take all those assets and keep a lot of it. Now, of course, the other thing is because there's not a criminal procedure here, uh, there's no public defenders. It's a civil case. So people also have to hire their own lawyers a lot of the time. And trying to get this back from the state is often a very, very difficult process, as John Odermatt has talked about. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if John went into this a little bit on his show. So I'll keep this brief. Uh, Love it. I like that they're finally targeting this on a federal level. So he gets a Apollos. Of course, Paul had tried to do something similar back in the day in uh, 2014, uh, but the Senate did not address it. So we'll see. Hopefully with two-party backing, it'll actually get through. Um, Okay. Last story is how can I not talk about... And by the way, I don't want to get into more COVID lockdown shit today. I'll do that next week. Don't feel like talking about it. And we'll see what's going to happen. With We'll see what lockdowns occur after all these lies and after people blaming, somehow blaming the reopening of businesses and bars for the fucking massive spread of COVID rather than hundreds of thousands of Black Lives protesters sitting in drum circles for days and days and rioting and sitting right next to each other in tightly packed quarters. And somehow this was a different outcome than the, uh, the protests for the lockdowns, which... As Tim Poole pointed out, different words do not mean different viral spreads, but that is the way the media likes to portray it. Anyway, we'll get to that next week. We'll pick up on that. But I got to talk about the, uh, they're calling it the Gogurt Militia, which is pretty goddamn funny, which is the couple. And where is this? Uh, this is seen in St. Louis on Monday where a uh, group of protesters were marching, Black Lives Matter protesters passed the house of Mark and Patricia McCloskey. And they had been walking high, walking by their home in Portland Place, a gated community. So apparently they had gotten in, climbed the gates or something. So basically they were on private property. Oh, here you go. It was like storming the Bastille. The gate came down and a crowd of angry, aggressive people poured through. This is according to the uh, the man, Mark McCloskey. I was terrified to be murdered within seconds. Our house would be burned down. Our pets would be killed. So they show the picture of the gate. And for sure, it definitely had been broken. There's no confirmation of whether or not it was damaged. But if you're getting through a gate that's, uh, that's like that, I'm guessing it is. But he's saying that at least 100 people came through, smashed through the historic gates and marched. And of course, the head of the march, a guy named Rasheen Aldridge, who has uh, been reported as one of the leaders, disputed the claims and said that the protest was peaceful in nature. Now, I got to tell you, I'm on the side of the McCloskeys here, even though people are aptly making fun of them for the fact that the guy, Mark McCloskey, if you haven't seen the video, I will embed it, but he marches outside with a pink polo shirt on, shortly sleeve polo, khakis, and no, no shoes on, which is funny. And his wife's out there, 
looking incredibly awkward. Now, they both have their fingers on the trigger. At least she does, it looks like. So not proper gun handling because obviously you shouldn't put your finger on the trigger unless you are absolutely prepared to shoot. However, at the same time, I could definitely believe this guy when he says that they were afraid for their lives. I mean, Christ, they live in this big gated community. They've, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos just had a guillotine put on his property by uh, protesters, or at least across from his property. They look in something that looks like a mansion from Versailles. It's like this big white marble castle looking thing. And you've got a group of 100 people marching through. And by the way, they had guns. The protesters also had guns because there's a uh, a shot which you can clearly see a protester with an AK-47 pointing it at these two people. So in what world are you not allowed to come out on your own private property armed? And if people are pointing guns at you, point guns back. Now, that's not to say that they shouldn't pointed the guns at them in the first place as they're marching by. If this isn't back peaceful, if these protesters are not holding up their guns at them, then you should not raise your firearm at the protesters, especially not with your finger on the trigger. I mean, in truth, if I see someone raising a gun with a finger on the trigger at me, and I'm also armed as a protester, then I might be inspired to, in fact, shoot them first. As we know, libertarians, even within the non-aggression principle, if you think your life is imminently in danger, you are under no responsibility not to shoot someone first if you believe they are, in fact, going to shoot you. Now, that being said, this is, of course, the classic thing. This could be nothing better than what all these left people, you know, all these wokesters could want because they are literally the epitome of a white couple with guns that has the, uh, you know, white privilege that everybody's been yammering about. That being said, Gogurt Militia is hilarious and it was fucking funny. The video's funny. And again, the wife is the worst one. The husband, I don't know, maybe he knows how to use, use the rifle he has. The wife is holding this thing up. She's not, she's not even holding it as though she knows how to use a pistol in any way. She's holding it up almost as if it's a cell phone and she's taking a picture with the cell phone, but her finger's on the trigger. It's a ridiculous, ridiculous scene. But like I said, I've overall fallen on the side of people that it's their private property. It's gated. If you got in there by violating their private property rights, if you got into this community by smashing through a gate, you should be seen as an aggressor that may have deadly intent. I believe in your ability to shoot somebody if they trespass on your private property in your home and you're afraid for your life. And honestly, if somebody came through my fucking garage gate, my metal gate, and decided to protest on my property armed, I would get my gun and go outside with my gun, having the full intent to shoot to kill upon any provocation. The media can make this out as though these people are insane for reacting this way to a quote-unquote peaceful protest, but just like we saw with so many other instances, like with the NBA reporter who's black, I talked to him, I think, last show, who was talking about how, yeah, burn Minnesota to the ground, and then, whoops, they come to the gated community next to him, and he calls them animals. Wait till they're at your fucking doorstep, you shitbags. So like I said, circling back to my main topic, I don't want this type of fallout. I don't want things to end up like this. I don't believe in collapsitarianism where we're having people shoot each other. We're having people marching on, uh, marching on each other's private properties, arms bared. But I think we can achieve quite a bit of de-escalation by vastly escalating the cultural battle going on until all these assholes that are want to go out and march in public and join mobs online and off think twice about that because of the ramifications of their actions and because no one is safe. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Electric Liberty Land. Uh, to remind you guys, check out Mark Clare on the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast every Monday. Also, don't forget, John Odermatt is pulling in the rear, as he likes to do on Felony Fridays, talking about criminal justice system issues. And of course, I'm here for you, your loving, warm embrace of spittle and high volume every Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land. Again, guys, if you love the show, please do share it, tell your friends, post about it online, uh, at people. And I know a lot of you out there are, are really adding us a lot in regards to news articles and helping us spread. Chris Osborne always gets my love uh, as he is prolific in this regard. But a lot more people have been jumping on that train, and I thank you very much. I'll try to remember your names uh, or at least your Twitter handles to give you some shout outs and some retweets later on. But I do appreciate you 
trying to bring us into the conversation and make other people aware of what we are doing uh, and the hard work we've put in over the years. I am, uh, I had 17 episodes from episode 200. Shocking, shocking to get this far. And I'll tell you right now, I am going to try to get Thomas Soul on the show. I really would love to have him on. I don't know if it's possible. I know he is notoriously difficult to get to uh, to emerge and and take part, but I'm going to try to do it. Maybe I can appeal to his sense of my dedication to liberty and uh, and have him on. So fingers crossed for that. But of course, that's still several months away. In the meantime, keep on listening from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged into liberty.